Hello and welcome to NDIS Know How, a podcast series that asks how can parents get the very best NDIS plan and sufficient funding to support their kid. This podcast is written and made by me, Melanie Dimmitt, the author of Special, and powered by HireUp, a disability support platform connecting families like mine with top-notch support workers. Today I'm chatting with Alexandra, or Alex, Brown a senior support coordinator and recovery coach in the NDIS space. Having started out in occupational therapy, Alex has been working in the disability sector for a decade and her own son, Ethan, is on the NDIS. So I guess I have that understanding from both both sides. I am really passionate about the NDIS space or the disability space um, because I really uh, feel strongly about supporting people to achieve their goals um, and to live a life that they want to live. Um, There's not always equal opportunity in the community um, and in society uh, and so trying to bridge that gap as much as possible, um, empowering individuals to go after what they want to do in life. Alex was introduced to me as an expert on evidence. The reports, assessments, letters and information we need to provide the NDIS in order to paint a picture of who our family is and what we need to live an ordinary life. Alex has got her finger right on the pulse of what the NDIS is looking for when determining what support to provide participants. I asked her to share this and boy did she deliver. Alex gave me so much goodness that I've spread our chat out over two episodes. The first one covers why we need to include something Alex calls a comparison document in our evidence, how to talk about our kids through a functional rather than a medical lens, and the critical components of our NDIS evidence. In part two, we'll delve into how good evidence is structured, why it's important to back yourself up from multiple sources of evidence, and why we need to push back on our providers when their evidence isn't up to scratch. A little note. From time to time, you'll hear from a third voice in these episodes, a squeaky chair. So please excuse this and soak in all of the wisdom that Alex has to share. I start by asking her, what is the NDIS looking for right now when it comes to participants' evidence? I have noticed recently that the NDIA are quite focused on um, is really that comparison, and it can be quite a powerful piece of evidence, but um comparing and it sounds awful but it unfortunately is a deficit-based scheme and we need to point it out as black and white in this as this but comparing the in an individual the same age who does not have a disability and what they are doing functionally versus the person with the disability who has the um, NDIS and so making sure that that comparison is there and clear to show that this person is unable to do A, B and C as a direct result of the functional impact of their disability and really backing it up with the assessment tools, whether they're standardised or non-standardised, backing it up with the assessment tools. And then when it comes down to the recommendations and the summary, it's then clear to the NDIA when they're reading it, they go, okay, well, this makes sense that they're asking for these supports because they've really had got a picture in their head of what it looks like for that individual day to day. Alex also advises talking about our child from a functional perspective 
rather than a medical perspective. Because otherwise NDIA are just going to go, well, that's health and that's treatment and they can get it funded through uh, through Medicare or um, another, you know. Uh, yes. Yeah, that is such a good point. And when you say that, just to give, give an example, like to speak about my son Arlo in a medical way would be to say he's got cerebral palsy. To speak yeah. about him in a how that impacts his function way would be he's got cerebral palsy, which means it's hard for him to get out and about in the community and socialize with his friends on the playground without support is that right yeah that's right so by explaining it functionally and it can be broken down even further than that so what does that look like and what support does he need to be able to successfully go out in the playground with his friends um and so uh, but by explaining that functionally the NDIA are getting that picture but also there it's pulling away from the medical side so when it comes to in a lot of these cases whether it's CP or whether it's um, a, a neurological condition or, or what or mental health or whatever it is um, there's often a, a health health does have a responsibility um, in the mix and so what we're trying to separate is we're trying when we're providing the evidence is we're trying to separate to show that um, these gaps are a direct result of the person's disability um, and it is NDIS's responsibility to fund because it does not have anything to do with um, the person's health or the person's education. That part's being looked after. Um, and so we want to really show that, uh, like make sure that that point is clear throughout as well. Yeah, amazing. Alex, something you touched on there that I just want to dig into a little bit is when yeah. you were saying, you know, as awful as it is to compare, you know, ourselves or our child to our typically developing peers, I think that's really important when you're determining sort of age appropriate supports. I think especially as a parent, it can feel like it's on you yeah. to support your child for everything forever. But when I look at what, you know, typically developing one of Arlo's friends who's typically developing and is six and what they're doing compared to what Arlo's doing, it shows me that no, actually, you know, for him to have an independent, ordinary, dignified life, there should be support around him that isn't me helping him with toileting, helping him get out in the community, you know, without having his mom hovering over him the whole time, you know helping him to like grab a snack out of the pantry um so I, you know you're so right to say like it's yuck to compare your kid to anyone else but I do think it's important for us parents to really focus on that and use that in order to get the supports that our child and our family does need yeah absolutely I I I totally agree and with my son as well it's yuck to compare and think of uh, like to have that comparison between um, typically developing children and Ethan, but it is really important. And, and you you are very right. It is most important between zero and 18 um, because the NDIA very often will push back and say it's the parent's responsibility. Um, and so having that comparison document, whether it's done with a therapist or whether it's done as a as part of a carer's statement, having that comparison document is really powerful because it does really outline 
the differences um, due to the person's disability um, and uh, the support needs um, uh, are not, they're not because the person is six years old, they're because the person has a disability. Um, and if someone was typically developing, they'd be able to do that independently. So um, yeah, it can be it can be a hard document to write, but I have found it to be extremely powerful um, and helpful to really painting that picture. And I think that's that's the focus here is that you you need to think about, okay, and your support team needs to think about, okay, what are we asking for here? What are we requesting? And then how can we justify that to the NDIA? How can we show them that this is reasonable and necessary? Um, and by and and that's essentially where your what you want your evidence to show. So whether that is a occupational therapy report, whether that is a neuropsychological report, whether it's a psych report or a speech report, whether it's a carer statement, what is what combination of reports are going to or letters are going to support the argument or the case that you're presenting forward to the NDIA when you go into your plan reassessment meeting or your first planning meeting, whether it's your first or your fifth, we still need to be providing new evidence each time, whether it's a change of situation or whether it's just a um, the plan has come up for review and you'd like to look at it and you want to properly reassess it. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, having that goal in place of what do we want here um, and how can we show the NDIA this is, is what you really want to focus on when it comes to evidence. You're really coming at this, I noticed, from a very um, collaborative approach. You know, I think we're lucky in that Arlo has these very, very good um, supports around him in the form of, you know, a lot of allied health therapists. And we fought to get like the very best team around our kid. And often, you know, they write great reports. And I feel like we don't have to help very much in getting their evidence into ship shape for the NDIS, but I know this isn't always the case. What Unfortunately, do you think? it's not. Yeah, well, you know, because you've been, you know, thankfully training <laughs> um, professionals in how to do their reporting better on that side as well. But I guess what advice do you have for participants and parents when they're looking at a piece of evidence? What are some red flags that something might need to change or, you know, something's missing or something's not in NDIS language? It can be tricky uh, to to know, um, but I think some key things to look for is if you read the report, um, is it really breaking down um, what your son or daughter or loved one, um, is it really breaking down what day-to-day looks like for them in the different areas? Does it really talk about their disability in a practical sense of a, that you get a really good picture um are you uh is it referencing the six domains jumping in here to refresh those six functional domains in our minds yet again they are mobility communication social interaction learning self-care and self-management alex has provided a really useful document with more information on each of these areas which i've linked in the show notes 
Is it linking to the six domains? Is it talking about um, everything in a way that's really justifying the supports that you are requesting? Um, is it in line with um, what your child needs? Uh, I think as well, um, do you find that the language is very medical or do you find that it is really comprehensively explaining from a functional um, or practical sense? I think they're really key things to look for, um, but it can be tricky. There are a number of really good resources um, that they can be a bit boring to read, uh, but useful um, because understanding those resources uh, can help you to understand what the NDIA are looking for. Um, number one, starting with the legislation, understanding the legislation is really helpful. Um, also understanding the operational guidelines uh, and especially in the uh, where they talk about whose responsibility is what. So what is NDIS's responsibility, what's mainstream's responsibility and what's education's responsibility or community responsibility as well. Um, and so that can really help to understand are we really, is the information and the report that we're providing to the NDIA, is it really painting a picture in the area that the NDIA fund or is it talking more about health supports and treatments that is more health's responsibility? So really by understanding these, by reading these different documents, it can help with understanding where the NDIA are coming from. Um, and because sometimes it can feel like, oh my goodness, what is, um, what are they on about? And so by understanding them a bit better, it can help to really empower um and feel comfortable with saying to the clinician, hey, I feel like it is a bit too, like we're missing information here or I feel like we're not really explaining the functional impact. Um, we definitely don't want to see in NDIS reports anything that states treatment. Um, we want it always to be related to, back to the person's disability, um, not to conditions that are not related to the, uh, that are not funded through the NDIS. So say the report is all about the individual's diabetes, but they met access for autism. That report's not going to be helpful as evidence. But if you talk about the person's, the impacts of the person's ASD and how it impacts on the way they are able to manage their diabetes, that is NDIS's responsibility. A big thanks to Alex for this super informative chat and also to Hire Up for supporting me in making this podcast. If you want to find more tips on how to successfully wrangle this scheme, check out Hire Up's library of webinars and free resources to help you navigate different elements of the NDIS. You'll find a link to this in the show notes, along with a number of useful resources from Alex. Don't miss part two of our chat about all things evidence. And thanks for joining us on NDIS Know How.